Hello, friends, and welcome back to the While We're Waiting Hope After Child Loss podcast. I'm Jill Sullivan, your host and one of the co-founders of the While We're Waiting ministry. This is a podcast of stories, stories of devastating loss and grief and heartbreak and struggle, and stories of hope and healing and faith and, yes, even joy. Underlying every conversation is the hope we have in Jesus Christ, which makes it possible to not just survive the loss of a child, but to live well while we're waiting to see them again in heaven one day. You can learn more about our ministry and the free bereaved parent retreats we host by visiting our website at www.whilewe'rewaiting.org. Welcome to episode number 140. I'm very excited today to introduce you to my dear friend, Shannon Petricelli, who I met several years ago when she attended one of our While We're Waiting mini retreats for moms in Arkansas. In the first half of this two-part episode, she shares the story of her 10-year-old daughter, Macy, who went to heaven a little over 10 years ago due to the poor choices of an intoxicated driver. She discusses the judicial process that followed and gives tips to those who may find themselves in a similar situation. In addition to that, she talks about the abuse and trauma she herself endured as a child and young adult and the impact that has had on her grief journey. Shannon shares her story with authenticity and grace, and I'm so excited you'll get to hear it today. Hi, Shannon. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hi, Jill. It's great to hear from you. Yeah, I have been looking forward to our chat. We got to know each other at a while we're waiting mini retreat for moms several years ago, and a lot has happened between then and now, and I'm looking forward to visiting with you about it. But first, let's kind of get started by giving you the opportunity to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Tell us where you're from and what life is like for you there. Okay, well, I'm a wife and a mom to four daughters and a stepmom to four more daughters. Oh, wow. I have uh, three granddaughters and now a grandson. I'm also a registered nurse of over 20 years. I've worked in uh, critical care and different areas. Recently, I've been a national um, manager of infectious disease clinics all across the nation and a national traveler for those sites. And I'm living in Florida currently. I'm originally, uh, I was raised in Kentucky. I am in Southwest Florida. We just went through the Hurricane Ian. Yeah. Did get some damage to our home. Uh, My husband and I decided we're going to move more inland and build a house (laughs) that's got hurricane windows. So Uh we've done that and just moved in. Oh, good. Good. Very good. You know, I know that there's a little bit more to your story besides just child loss. Um, Would you mind sharing a little bit of your story, maybe some of your story before I actually had the opportunity to meet you? Sure. I have, uh, I've lived a life of um, technically a lot of trauma has been in my Mm -hmm. life since I was a small girl. My parents were divorced when I was a little tiny girl. And that's how I ended up in Eastern Kentucky, living with my mom's parents on a farm, which was a good thing for me. I learned hard work at an early age and the appreciation of all of that. But then throughout my life, because I just, uh, I, I wanted a dad that loved me. Um, my mom did remarry. Uh, my stepdad taught me a lot of good things, a lot of meaningful things. 
but at the same time, he was, uh, he was abusive, um, physically and mentally abusive. And I was uh, removed from the home at the end of my sophomore year in high school and sent to live with my dad, whom I never remembered living with in my life. So that was a hard thing. But I was constantly searching for the love of a father. And in doing so, I I ended up with a lot of boyfriends, you know, just thinking that they would fill the gap. I was married Mm -hmm. very young. And... um, I had three children uh, with my first husband, and uh, we divorced, and I remarried again. That was to Macy's father, and Mm -hmm. as it turns out, he ended up uh, being sent to prison for raping and molesting two of my daughters. Mm -hmm. So um, there's been a lot of hurt and heartache along the path, and I got married a third time to Paul. And uh, we had only been married for 18 months when the wreck happened that we lost Macy and his father, David. So there's been a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, codependent behavior, a lot of it, very toxic environments. And um, that's something that just in the past year that I have been digging really deep to try to get myself out of the trench of the trauma. And that includes uh, even still muddling through all the grief of losing Macy. So um, I am remarried again. And I feel like it's kind of my Job moment. (laughs) Honestly, Uh, God has bestowed on me blessings that I have never experienced in my life. And love that is so unconditional to where I don't have to, I don't have to be someone that I'm not. And, and I lived that way for a very long time. So Mm. there's a little bit of it. Yeah. Yeah. At what point did you come to know the Lord? I was saved on June 14th, 1984. I had been to visit my dad in Florida during spring break. And he was going to a church and I met a wonderful friend, a girlfriend, her name was Julie and her parents, and they were witnessing to me. And then as it turns out, after spring break was the last time my stepdad really uh, physically beat me. And so once I got to my dad's in May, I just, I wanted to go to church. I had been craving that all my life. Uh, that was not something that was on my mom's side. It was always on my dad's side. So at church, I I had let them know that I wanted to be saved, but I didn't know how. Went to my yeah. friend's house, and her mom just came up to me and said, do you know how much Jesus loves you? And I said, no, I don't. And and that was true. I, I just didn't. And I I always associated a heavenly father with a punisher. Sure. And um, so I was saved on June 14th in her living room. I asked him into my heart and then I was baptized the following Sunday. So um, he's been in my heart since 1984. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I'm, I'm so glad that 
your friend's mom was obedient to share that with you. Yes. And, you know, that you made that decision at that age, because I know you've needed the Lord <laughs> to walk with you through the journey that you've had since that time, for sure. Yeah. So we're here today to talk about your daughter, Macy. Would you tell us a little bit about her? Help the listeners get to know Macy a little bit. Macy was, uh, she is my fourth daughter. Yes. And uh, she, her spunk and her joy for life were absolutely contagious. She loved to dance with her sisters. We made dance videos and and uh, she just enjoyed it so much. She was a also a protector. Some little girls came into her school. They were brand new there in Little Rock. And she understood that they did not speak any English. And so she befriended them and um, came home and made these little pamphlets for them that had an English word for bathroom and then the Spanish word the English word for, you know, to eat, colors, different things. And she was so excited about that. Uh, she stood up to bullies in her classroom in 2012. Of course, we were uh, heading into a presidential election and um, she they were taking votes in her classroom and a little boy was making fun of her for who she decided to vote for. And she just stood up and said, you're not going to bully me. I live, I live in the United States and I'm an American. And so I can, I can vote for whoever I want to vote for. (laughs) And, um, this little boy wanted to fight with her. And so she told him we're going to take it in the hall. And so her teacher, uh, went out there, they ended up in the principal's office and she just told him, she said, you know, you're bullying me probably because somebody bullies you at home. And she said, I don't want you to do that to me or to anybody else. I want you to know that I love you and God loves you. And I mean, she just had this natural discernment for even where, for where people were at her tender age of 10. We had a a, a neighbor. We affectionately called him Mr. Grouchy Pants. And um, if Macy and her stepbrother, Caleb, would accidentally roll a ball onto his yard, he was just yelling and screaming at these poor little kids. And they had a Frisbee that went up on his roof. And so he came out, was yelling and screaming at them. Macy came in the house and she was asking me if we had any brownie mixes or, you know, chocolate chip cookies. And I said, we've got chocolate chip cookies. And she said, okay. And I said, what are you going to do? And she said, I'm going to make Mr. Grouchy Pants some chocolate chip cookies. (laughs) And that's exactly what she did. And then she was courageous enough to put those on a plate and wrap them in aluminum foil, walk them over to his front door. And my heart is pounding out of my chest. And of course, this is daughter number four for me. And my other girls, I would have I probably would have just said, no, honey, we're not going to, let's not do that. But with her, with Macy, she was just a different child in that way. She has a lot of attributes from her older sisters, but there was something very special about her. And I just let her go. 
And then mm-hmm. after Macy was gone, that very neighbor came to my front door and told me that he had never had a child affect him the way that she had. So wow. that's Macy in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I can't even imagine what would be a better description <laughs> of her than that. You know, someone who would bake cookies for a Mr. Grouchy Pants. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love that. So talk about what happened on New Year's Day of 2013. So New Year's Day of 2013, our whole family, our blended family was together. And my sister-in-law was flying in from Cincinnati to have a late Christmas with us. My two older girls were in college at Union University in Jackson, Tennessee. And they were going back for the January term. So my third daughter, Corey, and I drove Kelsey and McKenna uh, back to college while my husband, Paul, and his mom and dad, and Macy and Caleb all went to the airport to pick up Beth, my sister-in-law. And so Corey and I were on our way back on um, I-40. Mm-hmm. And it was getting to be about 8 p.m. in the evening, and we passed Little Rock Airport on I-30. And um, I got a phone call from my sister-in-law, and I answered it all chipper because I knew she had landed and just so excited. And, And she just said, Shannon, we've been in a wreck And I said, well, where are you? And they were only like three miles west of the airport. And I said, oh, okay, well, Corey and I are almost there. You know, we can, we can swing by and get you. And she said, no, you don't understand. They're trying to get the kids to breathe. And I think dad is gone. And it was I I don't know. It was almost like I had ringing in my ears. Uh, There were a lot of things that it just felt very surreal. My mind instantly went to, did I hug my husband? Did I, did I tell him that I loved him? You know, there were all kinds of things. Like when was the last time I even saw my father-in-law going through my head and my daughter, Corey uh, heard this whole thing. And so I just, start driving faster. And Corey, she wasn't even 16 yet. She was 15. And she reached over and touched my arm and she said, mom, it's going to be okay. Let's just, you know, let's just take a deep breath. She, she's always been that child that can um, reel you back in when you're, when you're kind of out of line. Sometimes Corey's been great for that. And we rounded a big sweeping turn in the highway and I saw just a sea of red taillights. And all I kept thinking was, I've got to get up there. I've got to get to the front. And so I was trying to go on the side of the road, pushing through traffic, blowing the horn. We rolled down our windows. We're begging people to let us through. And I had gotten on the side of the road and the semi cut me off. I, I, presume he was thinking we were just trying to cut traffic. Mm, And it wasn't too long. I heard another fire truck coming and it was in the far left-hand lane. And so we were begging people to let us 
get over there. So when the fire truck went through, we pulled in behind and we followed yeah. it up as far as we could. It stopped. We stopped. Apparently I did turn off the car, but I left my purse, my keys, everything in the car. And sure. we just began to run to the front. And um, I see there were like five or six ambulances, highways, troopers, other fire trucks. I couldn't make out much of anything. It was just a sea of swirling lights and a, a tall man stopped me. And, and I said, my, this is my family. My family has been in a wreck and he wanted to know who I was. I gave him my name and he immediately sat me down on, mm. on the highway. And I looked up and there was a tan suburban that I was sitting behind. And that happened to be the vehicle that hit our vehicle. Um, he was, uh, very intoxicated and, um, Apparently, when he hit our car, uh, he was doing, according to the black box, 112 miles per hour when he wow. rear-ended our car, and um, it pushed our vehicle some uh, over 400 yards on up the highway, or 400 feet. I, he hit a second time on the driver's passenger side. They believe the first one is what uh, killed Macy, and then the second hit is what killed my father-in-law. Uh, I waited there just in disbelief, and then it dawned on me, once they extracted my father-in-law, I saw they were doing chest compressions on him, and I stood up and I said, I'm a nurse. I'm a nurse. Let me let me help. You know, that. Yeah. at least I could be doing something because sure. that's just me. I've got to be doing something. And um, they wouldn't let me. And I had been at, at work the night before at Baptist. I worked at Baptist in Little Rock and um, I worked late on New Year's Eve because we had a patient that needed to be picked up by a squad and taken back to an assisted living. Once they finally extracted uh, Macy from the car a man came up and said, would you like to ride with your daughter to the hospital? And of course I said, yes. Uh, I had seen my husband. I had seen my mother-in-law um, and my sister-in-law. I saw my father-in-law on the gurney with chest compressions and I could hear my stepson crying. Mm -hmm. And so it was a relief to actually hear him crying. I knew he was awake. I knew that he was feeling pain and he was scared. And so right. to me as a nurse, that was the most wonderful sound. Um, but I didn't hear anything as far as Macy was concerned. And they, this man walked me over and they had Macy on a backboard. And I took one look at her and I knew immediately that um, her spinal cord had been severed. She mm. had the cerebral spinal fluid coming out her ears and um, in other places. And, um, and so as a nurse, I already knew. And mm. they were picking her up to put her in the back of the ambulance. And this EMT turned around, and it was the same EMT that I had waited on the night before. Wow. And he just looked at me and he said, Oh, Shannon. And I said, Steve, just suction her, please suction her. And 
Um, I was wanting to get in the back, but they wouldn't let me. They buckled me in the front and told me not to unbuckle. And um, we made our way to Children's while Corey got in the ambulance with her stepdad and went to Baptist with uh, my mother-in-law and everybody else. So I, I wind up in the ER at Children's and... I'm there for Macy and Caleb, my stepson. But the man that had been driving the car that hit ours also had a 10-year-old boy in his car, and he was in that ER. And then there was a little two-month-old baby that was there. And they kept asking me if the two-month-old baby was mine. And I said, no, I didn't know where that baby had come from. But apparently it was from the car that he hit before he hit ours. So all four of these children were part of this gigantic wreck. So anyway. Yeah. It's, it's so hard for me to imagine. As a parent, you know, my story is different from yours in that we had time to prepare. We knew that Hannah had cancer and, and what that could possibly lead to. For someone like you to just be going along a regular day, looking forward to some family time together and something like this to happen. Yeah. That's just so hard for me to imagine. Yeah. You know, even with all my medical experience, there's nothing, yeah. nothing that can prepare you as a mom Mm-hmm. Nothing can prepare you for that. There's, uh, There were friends that came. I called one friend in particular because I knew she was very familiar with children's because her son had had cancer. And um, our church, Oak Park, they came. I was waiting on my two daughters that I had just dropped off at college. Their friends were driving them back home, and I was terrified for them to oh, even sure. be in a car. I was concerned where Corey was. They kept telling me she was at Baptist, but we left a car in the middle of the highway and went our different ways with the injured. And so it was just a a very um, crazy time. And a uh, I saw that they had, they, of course, they had Macy on a vent, and um, Caleb was getting pain medication for the broken bones in his body, but. I knew that he was going to be okay. The neurologist came out and was talking to me and he was saying that she had some internal bleeding and, you know, they could do this and that. And I wanted to know from a, from my own assessment that I had seen, if I had, had assessed her correctly. And he, he told me that she had been internally decapitated. And that there there would be no hope for life, you know, once they turned off the um, the ventilator. And so then my I became angry, you know, well, then why would I put her through a surgery to stop yeah. bleeding in her belly when my little girl is not there? You know, I, I already know she's gone. Right. And um, so they finally went back. They said they were going to get her ready and I could come back into uh, the PICU to see her. In the meantime, uh, the registration had called me to get her registered. And so I had to go downstairs. Corey showed up at the hospital. And so our church family took care of her. But while I was down there, they opened the door for um, for the family to go in to see Macy. 
Mm. And there was a member who took Corey back to see Macy before I could get back up there. And that was a very traumatic thing. Um, Corey, it was needed in a certain way, but, uh, that's been a very difficult thing for the last 10 years for Corey to have those visions in her mind of her baby sister. Uh, when I saw Macy, um, there was a young nurse, we we call them baby nurses and, in my nursing world. And this baby nurse came in and she had another unit of blood to give to Macy. And I stopped her. I knew she had 30 minutes to get it back to the blood bank to where it would still be viable. And I said, this needs to be given to a child that's alive. I already knew Macy was not alive. And, um, the doctor came in and, and, um, asked me, you know, what are your wishes? We will do whatever you you need, whatever time. And I said, I just need this turned off. I need it turned mm-hmm. off. And within 50 seconds, uh, Macy had no heartbeat, you know, no pulse, and she was gone. They were kind enough to let me clean her up and um, remove her IVs and I was able to do the right side of her body. I saw her little fingernails that she and my oldest daughter, Kelsey, they had painted their nails. They'd had a little mani-pedi party um, during Kelsey's break after Christmas. And um, it just went all over me. It mm-hmm. it broke me. But uh, I ended up staying there for several hours and just laying with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not exactly sure how I got from children's to Baptist to go see the rest of my family, but somehow I did. There were some nurses that I worked with at Baptist that went and retrieved our car out of the highway right before it was being towed away. Yeah. And, uh, then I had to tell my mother-in-law and my husband that Macy was gone Mm -hmm. And uh, that's when I truly found out also that my father-in-law was definitely, definitely gone as well. So, um, yeah, such a difficult situation. And you, with all your medical knowledge, I I can see how that could be a blessing and a curse, (laughs) both in that situation. Um, But I'm so glad you had that opportunity to spend the time with Macy that you did. Yeah, that's a special gift for sure. So when you shared what happened, you mentioned that the man who was driving the other vehicle was intoxicated and driving at a very high rate of speed. What happened in that situation? I assume there was a court process that began not very long, probably after, probably immediately from that point. Or was there? No, there was not. Oh. Of course, this was January 1st. Um, yeah, holiday. Holiday. And uh, he did fail four sobriety tests. He then escaped out of the police car. He was later found in his parents' car um, on an access road and hiding there. And it, it broke my heart because he had left his son who was injured. Mm. You know, later I found out. However... He was not arrested until July 24th, 
Wow. So seven months. Yeah. According to the Arkansas State Police, they had never seen a wreck like this. According to me, <laughs> I had never heard of somebody failing four sobriety tests and not being arrested. Yeah. There were lots of uh, different things where they were requesting blood so that they could get a blood alcohol level. And even by the time they did get him to the hospital, it was like four or five hours later and and it was lower, but he was still close to four times the limit. Wow. So in my mind, I could not figure out why they were not arresting him. Yeah. But at the same time, I was also trying to focus on taking care of my family. My sure. mother-in-law was critically injured. My husband, Caleb, my sister-in-law, was she was treated and released, but of course she had lost her dad and her niece. And then I was also trying to just think about my, my other three girls, my oldest girls. Yeah. And where are they going to be in life now? Um, so after everyone got out of the hospital, we were finally able to have a memorial service the second week in January. But my husband was extremely angry that that driver had not been arrested. And especially, you know, as we found out that there was a baby involved and that two month old baby died. Oh, it wasn't just wow. Macy. Um, the yeah. two month old baby boy died. Um, he was not convicted of that death at all. Those parents lost that little boy and um, it was blamed on them. And that was a very sad, sad situation. Mm. Yeah. And so the anger that built between January 1st and July 24th and the grief process, well, yeah. or the attempt at the grief process. That's the other thing with this type of tragedy. When you have to go through the court process, you can think that you're taking a step forward in your grief, but you always end up taking two to three steps back because you have to relive it. You have to tell the story over and over because Corey and I were on scene because we did see things. We saw um, the drunk driver's brother. Um, he actually spoke to Corey. We saw lots of things. We had testimony that was going to be used in a jury trial. So we were deposed and deposed again, and then we would have a hearing and then the hearing would be canceled or postponed over and over and over. And so you get stuck in the anger part. Sure. Because you do feel like that there needs to be justice. There, there needs to be something. Somebody needs to be held accountable because these two beautiful people that died in my car yeah. would have still been alive today had it not been for the decisions of that one man. And right. even his own son, the, the, the trauma that that young, young man suffered and lived through, it ate at me. It ate at my husband and our family at large. Uh, and we grew apart. And this is, this is the part where uh, when I have spoken to other parents that have lost children, everybody grieves so differently. Yes. Moms and dads grieve differently. The siblings grieve differently. 
the grandparents. And we all have our own way of dealing with it or maybe not dealing with it at the time. And I believe we should be able to give each other enough grace to get through that season. But we had two and a half years of a court battle. Wow. And um, it got to the point where we were in the prosecutor's office, my family with the prosecutors, and they said that he just wants to take a plea deal. And I, and it would be, they thought that it would be anywhere he would serve like five to 20 years at the most for everybody that he killed. Yeah. And, um, and I slammed my hands on the table and became very angry about it. And I said, no, this is not right. I would rather go to a jury trial. I'm not going to let him off after two and a half years of this. And the prosecutor looked at me and said, okay, Shannon, well, can you tell me what you would be happy with? What would you be happy with him serving? And I felt like I had just been smacked in the face when he asked me that. I know he was coming from a place of trying to satisfy my grief as a mom. But I looked at him and I said, do you have children? And he said, yes, I have two. And I said, if one of your kids was 10 years old and they were killed, they were taken from you, how many years would you give to that man? Yeah. My father-in-law was a pastor, a servant of God. He was the glue that held our family together. He was our counselor. So many of our counselor, just a beautiful man. And I I believe that he had 20 more years left to live. Easy. Sure. Macy had 70. So that right there is 90 years. Well, you know, they're like, well, okay, that can't happen. And I said, but uh, okay, in my mind, it's an eye for an eye right now. (laughs) Uh And I'm going to come out swinging. I'm going to come out fighting because this is his decision. He made this choice and he now needs to be accountable, held accountable for what he did. Mm So long story short, um, my family was tired of fighting and uh, I got tired of fighting as well. And we did accept the plea and they wouldn't even let the whole family say their even discuss their victim's statement, except I went to the defense lawyer and I said, I'm going to speak. I'm going to speak in this courtroom because... I need to. I can't just let us walk out of here and nobody's even able to say a word after two right. and a half years of this. So they did finally um, let me stand up on behalf of the whole family and um, say my piece. Yeah. Do you mind sharing a little bit of what you shared or what you said in your victim impact statement? Well, um, now, I just moved into this new home and I was literally looking for some of those, but I had made the decision that if it didn't bring me joy in my life, I was going to hide some things. <laughs> hey, I understand. I, understand. I hit it really well. <laughs> well, uh, and, and kind of the reason I was asking that question is I had read over it as we were preparing for this interview. I just kind of Googled some of the news articles and things around that time. 
And what struck me, and I, of course, don't remember everything that you talked about, but you did talk about forgiveness in yes. your victim's impact statement. Do you remember that part and would be able to I share? I do. And I, I just will kind of uh, add a little extra piece here is that if anybody is going through uh, this, this trial process, one of the things that I would highly, highly recommend is an advocate. Always get an advocate, a victim's advocate of some sort. We had um, a victim's advocate from Mothers Against Drunk Driving, and uh, she was with us through every hearing, even helping me get my words together when my mind was so scrambled. But one of the things that I had noticed when we went to court His side was all on their side of the courtroom. Our side was all on our side of the courtroom. And God kept telling me that he loved him too. He loved all those people in there too, just as much as he loved Macy and myself, my family. And given the time, I understood that this was not a purposeful thing on his checklist. He did not say, I'm going to drink a whole lot and go out and kill three people tonight. He did not do that. And God kept softening my heart that way, which is truthfully a big deal because I went through another felony trial where God, I'm still waiting for God to soften my heart on that one. But I stood up and I just told him that I thought it was so sad that he would never get to meet Macy and David, two of the most wonderful people. I told him it just so happened that Macy and his son were in classes together. And I said, you know, Macy, I know Macy loved your son. She loved him. And I said, I want you to know that I forgive you. I will continue to grieve the loss that we have suffered but I forgive you and I hope and pray that you will turn out to be a better man because of this and that you will show your son, you will live your life in such a way that your son will be able to look at his dad and be proud of his dad. So proud, you know, the pride that I shared with Paul, my husband, his dad, I was so proud of my father-in-law. And I wanted that joy in his life. And um, that was pretty much the gist of it is that I just needed to, to tell him that he really had no response to me. The defense lawyer, on the other hand, did. He cried. And um, he told me later that he was so proud of me and uh, that he had never met a family like ours. And that we had made a difference even in his life. And to be honest, I, I hated defense lawyers at the time. I just thought that, you know, they were crusty old crabs crawling out from underneath a rock. (laughs) And I'm thankful that it wasn't just that man that, that killed Macy and David that heard me. It was everybody else that did too, yes. including yes. the judge. Yes. Well, and I remember seeing you on TV 
the night. Uh, you may not even remember yeah. <laughs> talking to a reporter, but um, it was the day of the trial. After the trial, somebody caught you with a microphone and a TV camera, and it it just it jumped out at me. I just happened upon it on the news, and we had already met. You had already been to that while we're waiting event, and so I was like, "That's Shannon," and you spoke eloquently about forgiveness and about the love of God in those just few brief moments that you had. Hmm. So your impact and, and, you know, grief brain and all of the things you probably don't even remember doing that. I don't, um, I don't remember but it was all. very striking. Yeah. And you <laughs> forgive me for saying this. You looked like a mom who had sat through an incredible marathon of court experiences. At that point, you looked utterly exhausted. Yeah. But I think that made your words even more powerful to the people that happened to be watching the news that night. So it was not just the people in the courtroom who heard it. Hmm. It was a lot of Arkansas wow. who also heard your testimony that night. Wow. I'm glad you reminded me of that. I mean, I still don't remember it. But <laughs> yeah. I'm I imagine you could probably Google it and see yeah, it somewhere. Probably. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, so I appreciate you sharing about that. So honestly and openly, I know there are people who, um, uh, may be listening to this podcast that have walked through a similar type of journey and just to hear, you know, how you walked through it, how, how hard it was, how brutal it was, but that you did survive and come out the other side. And, um, so I think that's, that'll be encouraging for, for some folks who may find themselves in a situation like that. Yeah. It's not an easy road to travel. And again, I, I can't stress enough to um, have an advocate and then of course a, a solid support system, but your support system also needs to be believers. They need to be people that are, truly reaching up into heaven for you and lifting you up because without those folks, I just don't even know how we, we would have been able to do it. You know, the Bible talks about, there's just times where we can't pray. We have, we just don't have any, any words, but just even our groans, the, the utterances, the Holy spirit can take those and, and God knows, he just knows where to touch your heart. He knows how to um, lift you up when you are so sunk. I, I remember going into one of the bathrooms in the, in the courthouse, and I just remember all the tile, seeing all the tiny little tile in that, that bathroom, and I did not want to come out. Hmm. I couldn't, you know, yes. I just... I, I couldn't come out. I, I couldn't go through. I couldn't do another step. And I kept looking at that tile and there was like a water spot in the tile, but it was in the shape of a cross. Oh, wow. As silly as that sounds, you know, but everywhere I went, I knew that the Lord was right there and kind of going back to my trauma from being a child Everything was a punishment, you know? So I felt that even these days of the grueling court proceedings were a punishment. And God was saying, they're not a punishment, Shannon. You know, I am, 
I'm walking right here beside you. There's more to the story. There's so much more. And, and his plan is always so much better than mine. And humility, <laughs> these things that have happened in my life, even over the last 15 years, have humbled me greatly. Even before that, when I thought I was a humble person, I wasn't. I was selfish. I was self-centered. And humility was a pretend thing that I put on. There was no, or at least in my mind, when I look at it and people that know me and they've watched me change over the years, the being authentic was not an easy thing for me. I was afraid to be authentic because I did not want folks to know about my past mistakes, my trauma. And if I told them the real me, the real feelings, the real upbringing, the the hatred, the cussing, the drinking, the running, then people would look at me and say, there's no way you can be a Christian. There's no way that God can love you. And the one thing that I am so grateful for is his mercy and his grace that he has shown me over the last couple of years. And we're, we're now 10 years into this since losing just that, just losing Macy. Yeah. But I have found a blessing and a freedom in just being me and loving God and allowing him to love me back. Yes. Even when I think I'm unlovable, allowing him to love me back, the peace that has come over me and the freedom that is associated with that, those are the only words I can put in there to describe it. But I'm so grateful for where I am now. I'm grateful. Yes. Mm, what a beautiful testimony. Thank you for sharing that. This concludes the first half of my conversation with Shannon Petricelli. I hope you'll return next week as we extend our conversation to talk about living in the aftermath of child loss, exploring sensitive issues like blaming yourself, feeling like you're being punished, and wondering if we're worthy of healing. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to sharing the rest of our chat with you next Wednesday.